A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the force. That's right, Whistler. You're listening to episode 161 of Star Wars Beyond the Films. Your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, second airborne division of podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes, Zoom, as well as Stitcher, and right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of that multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Erleman, and with me like the fandom fires of war still raging over this topic, the EU guru himself, the Count of Two Continuities, Mr. Nathan P. Butler. Hey, hey, hey. Hello, everyone. Um, congratulations, I think, maybe. Should go out to Marvel Comics. Congratulations, Marvel. You have just had Star Wars number one. Uh, we believe, we're still waiting for the numbers to come in, break a record for number of issues sold. Uh, it is already 2015's top-selling comic, and it is the first to sell this many copies since the breaking of the Batman led to Batman number 500 with uh, Azrael donning that weird uh, mechanical Batman suit. And to think... To do it, you only had to cheat your way to it with literally over 100, last count I saw was 102, different versions or variants. Congratulations on basically getting some accolades that you absolutely don't deserve because you cheated your way to it with so many freaking variants and people buying multiple copies. I hope you enjoy your lack of a true success. Not that I don't think that the series is good, not that I don't think the series could be very successful, and I hope that it is, because it's going to be the foundation of, you know, part of this whole new story group canon stuff, but damn, that's how you're going to get those accolades, and you're actually going to accept the accolades and not every time put a little asterisk by it saying, yeah, see, we had all these variants. That Batman had two back in the day. Um... We're the top-selling comic already of 2015. Granted, it's only 18 days as of the time we're recording this into 2015, but we're it. I don't know. Just seems very disingenuous to me, but uh, it is out, and we will be covering it in the future. Yeah, you know, I have to admit that uh, the Star Wars little startup party they had and stuff i mean it's a clever little scheme they got going to a degree i i saw some shops uh where they were actually charging the people 10 bucks for some of the buttons uh you know my comic store gave me one of each of the buttons they were like hey we know you like these here you go but i was seeing all sorts of stuff where, where some of the stores it was like you get one button with each version of the comic you get and so it was like oh a little incentive here huh i wasn't gonna get into it but at the same time i've decided i'm gonna go trade so it's like hey you know, maybe I should get one of these, you know, and I was looking at the wall of, of the plethora of variants that were out there. And there was one with Han and Leia where they were kind of clutching each other in a lover's embrace, standing over a, a plethora of dead uh, Imperial Guard. 
And I don't know, man, it was it was calling to me and the comic store, you know, Sandra, uh, Jeff's wife was talking about the fact that, you know, it is only five dollars more than the cover price. And I'm like, you got me. I'm like that. I like it. It looks good. And I'm, I'm willing to make the dive on this one comic. And so I did it. There was a really cool article. I forget if it was comicbooks.com. I don't think it was comic book resources, but there was a really cool article that had a breakdown from the standpoint of it's anecdotal evidence, but anecdotal stuff from some of the bigger um, comic sellers, uh, the, the bigger stores. And basically what they did was they looked at the economics of it. It was, okay, you ordered this many copies for your store of these different variants. How were they selling? And looked at, okay, what was the original price? What's the going price like on places like eBay? And then how many did you get? How many did you sell? So they could see sort of where the demand was. But at the same time, you know, anyone who's, you know, into economics at all knows that demand changes. Demand is a mindset. It's uh, the quantity that people are willing and able to buy. Just like supply is the quantity people are willing and able to sell, but it's at any given price. Demand is a line. Supply is a line. Um, and the interesting thing is looking at that and seeing that you can like, I mean, you could absolutely plot out based on the things that they're saying where the prices didn't make sense, where the price was overinflated. So there was basically a, uh, a surplus of these particular issues where the demand just wasn't there based on the price. Um, same thing the other way around, where the price was too low and things just sort of disappeared off the shelves and they're not sure of any uh, ability to still get it and how the price is sort of auto, uh, uh, not automatically, but uh, uh, it's being jacked up through eBay, which is essentially one of the few places we can actually see supply and demand work very, very quickly because it's auction-based and whatnot. Uh, it was really, really interesting to see it. Uh, and we had long discussions through... One of the pages, I think it was the, the timelines page, because I didn't want to besmirch Star Wars Report with me being cynical, which is, you know, often, um, where people were trying to explain and give the, the, the background of, you know, well, this is why this number should count, and this is why the million sold is a big deal, and I don't know. To me, it just, I, I'm just soured by the whole thing. I mean, absolutely soured by it. I've got the original copy. And I'm sticking with it. And ironically, you know where I've seen the most interesting variant covers of this? It's the people who got those blank covers who happen to have artists like Tom Hodges or whoever at their event doing sketches on those blank covers. Like I've seen like a Spaceballs cover, for instance, oh, yeah. that's really cool. Uh, one that's got Groot and Chewie um, and I forget, it was one of the other, it was another character sitting there, um, sitting oh, at the, the bar. Who is it? It was, I believe it was Howard the Duck, Barf, and the Alien from Aliens all coming out. Now, this or, is a different or... one. This this one had uh, those two plus one other, and they were watching the little alien, um, the chest burster, dance across the counter, Spaceballs style. I mean, there's some really cool stuff out there. It's just, to me, that's always going to be a meaningless number in a lot of ways. I mean, saying, well, we broke a million, or well, we broke this, the more variants you add to a comic, the more you're going to wind up with people tending to buy multiple copies of it. Not necessarily everyone, but any variant is going to wind up adding to that. So if you have a hundred plus variants, even if each one's only adding a handful of new purchases per store, it's going to add up pretty quickly and I think artificially inflate the numbers. There needs to be something where it's just, and I don't know how they would ever have a way to track it, but how many copies were sold doesn't make a difference so much as do it a measure by how many people bought 
a copy. Mm-hmm. You know, as a, it's well, the same thing with movies. You know, not you know, Star Wars films always have somewhat inflated numbers because people will go see the Star Wars films multiple times if they're super fans. But that doesn't tell you how many people it reached. It tells you how many tickets were sold, which is different. When you think about the fact that, like, okay, yeah, they sold so many millions to the comic stores, but how many of those comic book stores are going to be sitting on, like, 200 copies of that number one that they're never going to sell? I mean, I know even Iguana, they're sitting on a lot of uh, Amazing Spider-Man number one for that, that last reboot. You know, they put a lot of money into that. But... I know, like, one of the things that came back when I, you know, mentioned the fact that I got mine for 10 bucks, they were like, oh, well, I got mine for, for $4.99. And Iguana did something that I thought was kind of slick, was they had, you know, the front row at the register, they have, like, the last copies of, of some of them, and then they're more expensive uh, variants and stuff. And so it was like, you could get them while they're on the shelf at regular price, but once those were out, the ones up here were the ones that were the last in stock, so they were going for a little bit more. And I, I think that's a, a clever way of going about it. But at the end of the day, it gets down to, you know, yeah, Marvel can only track it by what they're selling to the comic stores, which is definitely a different number than what's actually making it into the hands of the fans. Plus, as you said, then you've got fans getting multiple copies. Um, You know, we, we've got a few Beyonders that we know personally that have went out and, and have, have taken the plunge and are going full tilt. And, you know, to another degree, I... I I can commend them for that because I know, you know, there was a point in my fandom where it was like, you know, I got to get it all, you know, and to have that passion back for them, you know, to be in that where you're committed to this new, you know, I'm, I'm new, I'm already on the new Marvel, I'm on this train. And to be able to do that, I think that, that there's a funness that's going to be there, but you got to be able to, I don't know, balance out the, the ball when it comes to your wallet, because that's what's going to make or break you moving forward here, because Disney's got the ball. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's I, I foresee a, a future where there's going to be a lot more casual toys available. Uh, you know, I, I see a lot more of the ones, the really rare ones, like with the buttons, you know, the Darth Vader button. There was less of those in the bags than there were the others. And so that became like the the prize of the fans out there. It's like, did you get the Vader button? That's really hard to get. They're selling it for 10 bucks over here. I mean, I don't know. So there's that that balance of where are you going to draw the line when it comes to your wallet? And for me, I know where I sit. and I feel really good about that for once. This is this is true. I mean, it's it's just one of those you know, interesting new market situations where you have someone who's new controlling the franchise. Um, I'm actually kind of surprised they've already put out the Ezra figure um, for the Disney Infinity game. Oh, wait, nope, that's not Ezra as a slave. That's actually Aladdin. My bad. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see where this all goes, especially this new Marvel series. It certainly had a solid first issue. It blows away anything that Marvel did before in many respects, just in terms of the pacing of it, and the feel of it really capturing the films. Uh, and the artwork was terrific. I would put the artwork up there with, you know, Jan Dersima and a handful of other people who did Star Wars comic art with Dark Horse that I really liked. I actually even preferred over, say, uh, Douglas Wheatley. But, you know, we want, we want to see where this goes. You know, are they going to give us some new things? I'm a little bit bothered and concerned about where Story Group Canon goes now, not in terms of ideas, because so far the ideas have been pretty interesting. They're not too far off the mark, but they feel fresh, like Heir to the Jedi does and Tarkin does. But then we've got stuff like, uh, I've been reading, we'll get into our main main topic here in just a second, folks. We're just kind of bantering here because we haven't had a chance to talk in a few days. Um, I'm reading Star Wars Rebels Edge of the Galaxy. Uh, it's the Servants of the Empire number one about Zaire Leonis by Jason Fry. And I'm really liking the character of Zare and the other people around him. It makes for an interesting background of that character, and I hope he becomes bigger in the Star Wars Rebels show. But 
this book has helped clarify, because I'm assuming all these names in it are from story group stuff, or even from the production crew of Rebels, that it's not just Capital City that's a lame name. We talk on uh, Rebels Roundtable about how Capital City is the name of the Capital City on Lothal. It's Capital C, Capital C, Capital City. That's it. Which is even more lazy than having, like, what's the capital of Mexico? Mexico City! Let's name it Country City! Which is something that, you know, Daily Show made fun of in that America the Book, or whatever you call it. Um, apparently, the capital city is called Capital City. Hey, what's that city over there to the east called? Why, that's East City. What about those rolling hills off there past it? Oh, well, that's East Hills. How about over there the opposite direction? Those are West Hills. I kid you not, those are the locations on Lothal that we're being given. On top of that, you have Zare's father's name. You may recall his name is Zare Leonis. His father's name is Leo. His name is literally Leo Leonis. Really? I don't know. It's, it's the little things. Like the way Marvel handled the thing with those. The naming conventions. That has me short of shaking my head in this period in which you could really do everything right. From the get-go. It's just these weird instances where it feels like doing things in a way that... It just doesn't sit right. I mean, it's not that it's bad per se. It just feels like, you know, it's like they're static on the line. You know, you're expecting this nice, clear sound. And instead, it's got some places where the sound starts to dip. And you're like, really? In this day and age? But we digress a lot. at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars and so do we. This episode, we explore the tales legends could still yet tell. That is, if they ever hashtag continue legends. Consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentients of all ages, because here we go, on another adventure, Beyond the Films. Knew he was going to go there with the hashtag, I just knew it. <laughs> um, again, we're sort of a, a slightly different mind, just in the sense of he's more for the Legend Saga continuing. I've actually, for the most part, I'm kind of come to terms with the idea that it's just this other continuity out there. It's this thing that did exist. They can pull from it. But I'm interested in seeing where the new stuff goes enough that I'm not going to lament it too much. But I was still sitting back saying, man... I wish they would at least continue it a little beyond what they're doing now. You know, give some credit to it uh, for being the big saga for so long. And let's make sure that story group canon, or whatever you want to call it, Disney canon, new canon, let's make sure that it really does deviate enough to have justified the change, etc., etc. But then we're going through, and we're looking at ideas for where Legends could continue. And I gotta tell you, honestly, I had to go through and skim through my entire bookshelves. And all the comic boxes that are sitting there. And I find that a lot of the ideas I came up with for things that Legends could continue, honestly, they're not really necessary. Or if they are necessary, it's to tie up a loose end. That is the one thing that Legends has, I think, significantly against it right now um, for many fans who are more casual fans. And that is that if the idea of having a continuity beyond the films, so to speak, 
is to give depth to that universe and give us answers to things in the films and really kind of build off of them. We passed the, I think we've hit film tie-in stuff plenty a long time ago. To the point where now we have legends stories that build on other legend stories and fill in gaps from other legend stories. This comic, you know, based off another comic, based off another comic, based off a novel, based off a concept, based off the films kind of stuff. To the point where I kind of feel like if the list we've come up with is some of the better ideas, not saying that we're brilliant, but perhaps some of the better ideas of how legends could continue, maybe it was already going to get to a point where things were going to start to grind to a halt or start to feel mundane at some point within the next decade or so anyway. I would hope that wouldn't have been the case, but I look at this list and I'm thinking, wow, I really don't know how much they could have gone from here, and they certainly didn't have a lot of room to expand on the films anymore which is sort of the bread and butter of what Disney would be looking for as a way to make some money. So I, I, I found myself very surprised by, for lack of a better term, our findings when really looking into this. Did you feel the same way? or are you, I'm assuming you're probably the complete opposite. You're seeing all kinds of opportunities and thinking this is, you know, no. this must be done kind of stuff. I'm I'm actually I'm I'm a lot closer to you than than most would think. I mean, there is a a, a huge majority of these that are just fluff and filler. Uh, you know, they're they're potential for stories that could be told, but they're not, as you say, the word necessary. There are a few that I do find are necessary. As you see, we're a lot more alike, I think, than 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 you're probably thinking. Because like, while I do use the hashtag Continue Legends, that's really became my only outcry for continuing legends like beyond that i just i want the closure you know i would like to to get a little bit more with jana solo's character i would love to know what's going on with Jaden core things like that which we'll get more into those as, as the episode fills out but those are, are probably the few cases that i really feel that there's a necessary need for an end or like with invasion because that was not a satisfactory conclusion whatsoever uh, but yeah, a lot of them are really tiny ones, you know, ones that are just so, you know, you could, you could go without ever telling that tale and we'd be okay. Um, for me, I think that the biggest issue I'm having right now with our fandom is that there seems to be this new stigma that, that if you want legends to continue, well, you're just whining and you need to get over it. Uh, I, I saw some really crazy outbursts today on on a Facebook page where you know one person had commented like that, and then everyone else started coming on there. One person, you know, asked, you know, how long of a fan have you been a fan? I've been a fan for 25 years. This is why I like what I like. And of course, then it became, well, this guy's got a hard on for Jason Solo, and I'm female, so I'm being attacked. There was some attacking going on. It was it was a little crazy, and I think that's my issue with with this going forward. It's like. This has become such a hotbed. It's worse than Han shot first. Now it's it's worse than is it canon? Because that becomes the side debate now. As well, it was never canon anyway. It's like that's besides the point. I think for a lot of EU fans that that did not get that closure, that's the point. It's like if Legends never continues, we still got glaring holes in the end of these stories. You know, I mean, from Legends, when you look at Legacy. You know that Jagged Fell is going to become the Emperor. But in the last book, the book where it hands off, Jag no longer is even the Emperor. Like, he stepped everything, everything that was moving that direction got stepped back from. Like, they were going to tell one more book to kind of get us back to that? No, not going to happen. So, so I, I hang around that word necessary. Yeah, a lot of these aren't necessary. 
but at the same time, I think that if we were to just get a couple of these stories down the road and really give a, a good, you know, tale and, and give an actual satisfaction conclusion because crucible, if that was supposed to be the end of, of Luke and company, that was, that was crap. I mean, I didn't like it at the time because I was hoping something else was going to come down. But if that was literally it, it's like, you really, that was, that was what you were going to do to Luke and them. That was <clears throat> Denning. I loved you for so long. And that just, that, that it hurts me, man. It hurts me. So I, I go back and forth with the term necessary. I mean, I, I would love to see legends continue, but I don't think that we're going to need to have legends continue. It's more of a want and it's a strong want, a powerful want, but I don't know. I think, I think part of the issue for me is if we did have legends continue, you'd have less of the fans going, well, we need to have Mara in here. We need to have this. Cause there is a part of me that's like that, that if legends never continues, these characters that I have grown to love and think of as star Wars, I named my own kid after one of them. If those names are not even Canon, it does feel a little weird. There's that aspect that fans that have invested in this for so long, there's that angle too, where they have a hard time walking away from that, which they were not just financially invested in, but emotionally, you know, we went through these, these great wars through the new Jedi order and stuff like that. And we were with Luke while his nephews passed away while he watched his niece become the sword of the Jedi and watched her stand on her own as a Jedi Knight. Uh, you know, it, all this aspects of this journey that we've gone on just to turn around and walk away, which is another angle that I have to those that are like, Oh, you need to just stop whining and get over it. It's like, if this happened to us and this happened to the clone wars fans at one point, who's to say it's not going to happen again. You know I mean? It got bloated, it got big, it got out of control. Well, you know, Coffee with Kenobi had one of the Marvel editors on them, and they were talking about the way that they go about the new process with Story Group, and it's kind of like, well, they get some plot ideas, they write the story, and then they bring it to the Story Group, and the Story Group looks over it before they release it. It's like, wow, that, in a lot of ways, sounds like what was happening before. So there's, there's a lot of things that I'm trepidatious about going forward in the new canon, because I would not want to see 25 years down the road they find themselves in the exact same position where they have to reboot it again and deal with the same thing. I mean, in the fandom side of things, the heartache that comes with, with the project that you love today being ended, that's never going to go away. That's going to continue moving forward. Rebels is going to end at some point and the fans that want to see more rebel stories are going to be pissed. Uh, you know, that's never going to go away. So yeah, I'm still coming to terms with this. I mean, you know, as, as you said, Nate, it's, it's become easier for you because you've been able to come to terms with it. And I'm on that edge. You know, I'm, I'm letting go of the desire for more stories about Jaina Solo and answers to riddles like what's going on with Jaden Core and Hondo Core uh, or Hondo Car. I mean, those aspects, I've slowly got to work my way out of it. But I, I've just I've been so rooted and invested in the EU. I mean, it was always a separate story, even if it was an official continuity of what it was. So. There's so many aspects of this. It's it's. I know a lot of fans. They just want us, not just us, our show, but other fans that are fans of Legends and you, just to get over it. And all I can say is just try to be patient because it's not that easy. It reminds me that our troll who wouldn't get his thoughts onto the show after doing the whole "I'm not going to respond to anything with thoughtful things. I'm just going to throw out a bunch of a uh, name calling and swearing." Did wind up sending us one recently that was basically "f the EU," blah blah blah. Um, so the, the hate is certainly still out there from some. Um, I am at least a little bit heartened to hear what you said about the story group 
in terms of looking over the materials because that wasn't the way it was done exactly before. I mean, the editors would look at it, of course, because they would have to, you know, and then you'd have your line editors going through and making sure that each, you know, bit and piece was taken care of as far as, you know, formatting, but also things like spelling and phrases and stuff like that. But there was never really a point where Leland Chi would go through and read everything before it was published to fact check the entire thing. And it sounds like the story group is doing something at least somewhat similar if they're the ones who have to give the final say, as opposed to, you know, like, for instance, whenever I did the story for Star Wars Tales, I mean, it had to go through Jeremy Barlow and whatnot, and then eventually it had to go all the way back up to Lucasfilm. I think it was uh, Jonathan Rinsler who had to look at it before sending it back, but then the last steps were basically me and Jeremy, you know, and then the other people involved, like James Reyes doing the art and whatnot, going back and forth, whereas I don't think there was ever a point where it went to Leland Chi for him to look at it and say, yes, this fits, or yes, this works. It was more of a, if there's a question, let's email them, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, well, the only thing about the new Star Wars number one that, that jumped out was, you know, that the date wasn't in the front. But I was thinking about the story group, and I was like, you know, with Dark Horse, that was like the always the one thing where they really got the date wrong. You know, it was like by the time the trade paperback came out, usually they had it fixed by then. So I was thinking like, well, maybe story group at this, this time, they're deciding like, hold off on that, and, and they're going to put it out on the trades, you know? I, there's so many aspects of what the story group's going to do going forward that I've still got questions about. Well, yeah, and early on in the earliest, earliest Dark Horse comics, there weren't time references in the opening pages. They didn't have the timelines in there. Like with uh, Dark Empire, there wasn't such a thing. With uh, classic Star Wars, I don't think there was in many of the individual issues. I know they eventually did. Um, but yeah, there were timeline issues sometimes really early on. I mean, some of the first issues of Tales of the Jedi... Uh, once they got past that first arc, started to have issues of making sure that their information was correct as far as the times go. And the novels didn't have a timeline in them for many, many years. Closest they had was a little advertising thing in the back that listed the other books that were out in chronological order with sort of advertising text for each of them. Back in the day where they didn't refer to it as BBY and ABY. Back in the day where it was BBY or BANH or BSW4. Uh, and ASW4, or even earlier, AROTJ, after Return of the Jedi, where anything in between A New Hope and Jedi had some odd ways of putting the date references and such. So I'm hopeful that eventually we'll get something like that. But yeah, not knowing, for instance, right now, I finished Heir to the Jedi, I still want to know where does Heir to the Jedi fit in relation to this new Marvel series? How do those two match up, because they both seem to be taking place around the same time. I think Heir to the Jedi must come first, but kind of hard to say based on some of the, the, the few date references that are in it, which by the time folks hear this, given how early we're recording compared to uh, uh, releases, they should actually be right to the point of just about being able to pick up that book and, and check out the references. Anyway. Yeah. Now, I went ahead, I put out a Facebook post a while back, we pinned it to the top of the page, we were basically asking you guys, were there any stories out there that were of interest to you? Uh, you know, and Nathan, you brought up a good point about necessary. So, I, I will say most of these are going to be unnecessary, so we won't comment on the ones that are unnecessary, but when there is one that, that feels like it's necessary, you and I should go ahead and say, you know, that one could be a necessary one. And we could talk about those ones a little more in depth because there are very few of them that I feel are actually truly necessary for that feeling of closure. There are some, uh, you know, some of the ones that, that sprung to my mind and, and some of these were even 
more soon, you know, based off of uh, last episodes and things like that. Uh, the clone trooper glitch from Defenders of the Temple, you know, did he ever get off Dre? Is he now Force sensitive? Is he a dark side user now because of how he potentially gained the Force? Uh, or was it all just an understanding that he has? Things like that. Totally one of those that, that doesn't have to happen, but it was one that, that left you sitting there wondering, you know, whatever happened to glitch? Uh, another one for me is Koran Horn's time away from the Order during the New Jedi Order. Uh, during uh, Dark Tide, he uh, leaves after the events that go on at the end of that book. He kind of touches the dark side, goes to a very dark place. Basically, it was the author that created Koran getting him out of all these character deaths for a while. He eventually came back in, which gets to my second one here, which is uh, Rogue Squadron during the New Jedi Order. During Destiny's Way, to be more precise, there were two rogue squadrons, one being ran by Koran and one being led by Gavin. And I've always thought like a Tales of the New Jedi Order or a Tales of the Rogue Squadron where they talked about that would be a really cool story. Uh, another similar one like that is the fact that the Jason and Jaina books and the Anakin solo kids books, if you go in and read them, there is actually a reference to a book series that is not existent. Uh, somehow between the two, the young uh, Anakin one refers to Jason and Jaina being there before or vice versa. Uh, whichever one chronologically takes place before the other talks about the twins being there before that. Yes, it is Anakin. I had to double check real quick. It's the Anakin solo ones. They Chronologically, they take place before the Jason and Jaina ones, and it refers to Jason and Jaina already being at the temple. Then comes the next series, which is Jason and Jaina being at the temple. But it, it could easily be one of those where we have a whole other story that they could slide in there in before that. That, by the way, I think, if I remember correctly, they wrote that off as basically saying that it was an error and then saying, well, from a retcon standpoint, of course they were showing up from time to time to get a little bit of training. Anakin got to be there before Jason and Jaina, age-wise, because he was in sort of like an advanced younger class. And then comes Jason and Jaina, who become the heart of this new Jedi Order, blah, blah, blah. So I think they've written that off to an extent, but... And that's another one of these things where if you have a loose end, it's going to do one of three things generally. It's going to stay a loose end, it's going to get resolved in a story, or they're going to turn around and just create a retcon to write it off if they're not just going to leave it hanging. Um, mm -hmm. Big one for me, really big one, and one that hopefully we will actually still get to see is the Old Republic. How does the Old Republic, the MMO and its related storylines of the comics and uh, Annihilation and the other novels and whatnot, how does that finally end and move onward so that a new Sith Order, the one that starts with Thanius, a.k.a. Darth Ruin, can then emerge over 1,600 years later? Because we've got this recurring theme in the EU, uh, or the Legends continuity, of different Sith Orders. You've got the Sith, you got the different schisms, you've got the Sith Empire, the Lost Tribe of the Sith now, also tied into that. You've got the Sith Order thanks to Exar Kun, which is following those same traditions, but not the Empire itself. You've got Revan and Malak tying back into the Sith Empire. You've got the Sith Empire coming back with the Old Republic. And then as those somewhat all-connected versions of the Sith wind up fading away, then you've got the Sith under Ruin. It becomes a Sith Order that eventually includes Palpatine and Vader and so forth. Eventually, you get the return of Sith, in a sense, through Jason and... Lumaya, et cetera, et cetera, and him trying to bring in Ben and so forth, until finally you've got, you know, the one Sith much later on. It's just this constant revolving door, so to speak, where 
the pattern is that light and dark will constantly clash, light side and dark side, and the names tend to come back even though the orders are a little bit different. But somewhere along the way, there has to be a break. For a long time, we thought there was this huge break between the 4,000 years before the film's Tales of the Jedi stuff and what we eventually got with the prequels and the original trilogy and such. But by the time that really got going with the prequels and all, we're leading into the era of having stories produced like Knights of the Old Republic, where all of a sudden it wasn't that big of a gap. And the Sith were much bigger in terms of galactic power than they thought, and they went up against the Republic much more than were originally thought, to the point where I gotta wonder if 1,600 years, given the scope of Star Wars galactic history and whatnot, I wonder if that's long enough for us to have really gone from this massive, huge, galaxy-spanning conflict in the Old Republic MMO, and yet then have a new Sith Order arise 1,600 years later, give or take, that are basically disconnected or designed to be disconnected as two different orders, the Lucas version versus the Legends version of the thing. Because, I don't know, it's, it's, it, the more they fill in the gaps in that era, the less and less it feels like two separate orders makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to see how they dovetail this to end it and maybe do something to help set up why that other one's able to grow in the future and how this one gets forgotten so quickly or how this one gets defeated so utterly that it's not a force out there to be recognized by the galaxy by the time the other ones come around, that when, when that split essentially takes place. So What's... I want to see an end to the old Republic, not an end as in cancel the thing, yeah. but I want to see an actual end cap that gives us some resolution and some tying into other things instead of them just saying, oh, well, it's not making money anymore. We got this new project to work on. We're just going to stop. Well, it's interesting because, like, you know, one of the things that always struck me once the prequel trilogy came out was the you got like basically 20 years, 20 years time for the Jedi to become a memory. And that always seemed like a very short time. Like it, it never seemed realistic enough to me. Like I always thought it needed to be longer. It's, it's just odd to hear you talk about, you know, 1600 years not being enough. And I'm like, and we got 20. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's another thing that'd be interesting to see how the story group can and handles it because the EU certainly didn't handle that well. But it's that's sort of the, the nature of the fact that you had all these different stories being told where they wanted to bring in Jedi-style characters. So in Legends, it really sort of felt like, wow, you know, despite what Yoda says about, you know, when I'm gone, the last of the Jedi will you be, there's tons of other Jedi still alive out there <laughs> in some form or another. It becomes sort of the running gag. And then that by itself makes it even harder to believe that the suppression of information over the span of only about 20 years could have been that much. Although, bear in mind, until the prequels themselves came out, the dates for those types of events were actually assumed to be a lot earlier. The dates that yeah. um, are actually reflected in, I think it was Dark Force Rising, uh, when they're looking up information on Joris Sabaoth, is actually based on information Lucas gave as to when the Clone Wars were meant to take place, which is also why for a long time you had guidebooks giving the wrong ages for Vader and Obi-Wan and so forth. In Vader's case, pretty heavily wrong because, well, Lucas said one thing and then changed his mind when he made the prequels and wanted to make Anakin, you know, a kid, you know, 30 years before, 32 years before. Um, there is, of course, uh, to me, one of the big things is the whatever happened to 
type of stories to give endings to certain characters. And I think Clone Wars leaves us with three big ones. One is the obvious, I guess. What happens to Ahsoka after the wrong Jedi? I know we see her in a vision of Yoda's in Season 6, but it's not actually her. And at one point, we saw a vision on Mortis <laughs> of an older Ahsoka being warned to get away from Anakin, basically. And she does by the end. Not because of that warning, but she does. But that Ahsoka in the vision, the older version of herself, aside from the fact of basically wearing the same clothes for years, apparently just, you know, changing their size or something, maybe in some kind of replicator, Star Trek style. Um, but she also has her two lightsabers when she sees that vision of the adult self. And her lightsabers were lost in the process of the end of season five. And there's that question of, well, does she somehow get them back if that's a true vision? Um, I would love to see what happens to Ahsoka afterward. Her ending was poignant and really solid, really emotional. If they were to tell the story of what happens to her, it would need to be something equally impactful, something that matters instead of feeling like it's tacked on. Like, again, I would say, you know, Knights of the Old Republic War felt tacked on to KOTOR versus Legacy War didn't um, for Legacy. So where does Ahsoka go? Uh, and that's something, of course, that they could still tell. Any of these Clone Wars ones, they could still tell. Because Clone Wars is also in the story group canon. But there's that question of going forward, you know, are they going to treat any continuation stuff, if they do any, the same way they treat, like, Son of Dathomir or Dark Disciple, where it's treated as if they're episodes of the show because they were based on unproduced scripts and therefore... Essentially, they're crossing over because we're told, you know, you got T-Canon is the Clone Wars for Legends, and then you get the fact that it's now part of the new canon as well. Um, then, of course, there's the question of what happens to Rex, because he, he, as far as we know, he doesn't appear in Revenge of the Sith unless there's going to be a special edition of that. So, where does he go after the Clone Wars? Does he get sent somewhere else? Does he eventually become a Stormtrooper? Does he die? Does he betray the Jedi? Is he there with Anakin as they march on the Temple? He's not, as far as we know, in Revenge of the Sith. Where is he? And then there's that question of, well, what happens to Maul from Son of Dathomir, which again was based on unproduced scripts. Uh, apparently that was the last arc that had been designed for Maul for the Clone Wars. That was supposed to be his ending. But he's left alive and out there, defeated, with much of his power base gone, but still alive and out there. I want to know where this Sith goes. Surely Maul doesn't just decide, Well, I got beaten again. It's time to retire. I'm going to find a beach somewhere and hang up my double-bladed lightsaber, etc., etc., whatever blade he's using at the time. What we're going to find out, actually, is that it wasn't Boba Fett that dies during Return of the Jedi. It was actually Darth Maul because he got in with the Mandalorians. He was posing as Boba Fett the whole time. There you go. He repainted his armor Jodo cast style. I like that. Like that. See, um, these three, I would definitely say, are probably ones that are necessary. And with that, though, I, I got to point out that if you're going to do it, it's necessary to have a conclusion for these characters with Legends. Maybe not so as canon, but you definitely need to get some resolution here, especially with Maul's character, from what we have with Son of Dathomir. I mean, that puts it in a way where I could see Legends going one direction, I could see canon going in two different directions there. So it's like, one's a little more necessary than the other, but with Maul doing what Maul did, it's one of those things where I always could easily see Maul coming back in any of these other films. I mean, you got a big villain like that that's already a villain in the saga. You know, why not nominor him and have him come back and be a thorn in everyone's side? 
Um, from the standpoint of not really loose ends, but stuff I've always wanted to see that has never been dramatized outside of things like guidebooks, giving us a broader in-universe history of what people say about it, uh, I would love to see dramatizations of some of the other big dark side, light side clashes or political clashes that are out there. Um, the first great schism where Arden Lin and Zindor um, are the ones falling to the dark side and that whole thing. I would love to see more about that beyond just guidebook stuff. Or the fall of Phanius to become Darth Ruin that kicks off that next round of Sith. I mean, we've got a lot of stories, relatively speaking now, dealing with Darth Bane. He's sort of the end of that big upsurge of the Sith that then sends them back into hiding as the rule of two and so forth. And yet, the story of Phanius, or Ruin, really hasn't been told all that much. And along with that, one that's going to sound kind of obscure, but I think would be really, really cool, is the Constuspex Crusades. Uh, where you've got this situation with a lot of intolerance and these clashes uh, ethnically and philosophically within the Republic to the point where it becomes very much like the Crusades in real life. Mm -hmm. um, and if I remember correctly, this is the era in which you wind up seeing uh, Jedi as Supreme Chancellors, much like we will eventually wind up seeing that referenced in other materials. So mm -hmm. there's all these really cool background things that make for interesting history. Some of that history... It'd be cool to see developed. But again, especially the Constuspex Crusades thing, absolutely unnecessary and, again, so far from the core of the films yeah, that they wouldn't – I doubt they'd ever make it, certainly not as a continuing Legends thing under Disney right now if they think that all success must be tied into the original trilogy. But uh, a guy can dream, I suppose. So that's one of those things – that the RPGs put out a lot of really cool stories, one of which being the Iron Knights. Uh, you know, they're a, a crystalline species called the Shard, which one of them happened to be Force-sensitive during the Clone Wars. Uh, during the New Jedi Order, there is a RPG book that has a group of them coming into Luke's Order, and one of them falls to the dark side. It was a really cool little uh, gameplay thing that would have made a really cool story. And they join Luke's Order during the New Jedi Order at a time, you know, when being a Jedi can cost you your head and being a droid could just cost you to be dismantled. So I always thought it was an interesting concept that they should have done more with during the New Jedi Order. Uh, another one is Kakruk joining Luke's Order. Uh, I believe that also came out of some RPG material where they mentioned him coming out finally from hiding and joining Luke sometime during either the end of the New Jedi Order or sometime during the gap uh, between... New Jedi Order and Darknest, which gets me to, of course, the big one that I truly still find necessary because I don't think Fate of the Jedi and Legacy of the Force did a good enough job explaining what happened during it. Jason's five-year sojourn when he went off to study all the different Force stuff. There was a lot of stuff that went down there, and I, I would like to know more. That one, I, I still feel that one's a little more ne uh, necessary. Yeah, I think that five-year sojourn would be a big, big uh, point of of interest for a lot of people. It's something we know a little bit about now, thanks to Fate of the Jedi and such, um, and learning, you know, well, where did he go? And to a degree, showing it would be a lot like, you know, to me, uh, there would be chunks of Fate of the Jedi rendered kind of meh and less interesting. Very much like, to me, I think, you know, Survivor's Quest doesn't need to exist 
because we eventually did get the outbound flight book. It's like Survivor's Quest was meant to set up the mystery even more of outbound flight before that other book could come out to get people to read that. But then essentially, if you're a reader who's reading in chronological order, you get to Survivor's Quest, and you're like, I know this stuff. Um, kind of the same type of thing might happen, but it certainly would be interesting to see where he goes and how he changes over that time. If it was something shorter, like an anthology of different stories at different points in his journey, or a comic series, where it's not necessarily you know, full-length books where it follows one specific outing. Like, you don't necessarily need to follow the entire thing, just... You know, the, the highlights, I guess, of it. Mm -hmm. uh, speaking of Jedi journeys, uh, the end of Dawn of the Jedi with Force War. Solid story, cool ending, but there's so much still to go. The guidebooks tell us that eventually the Jedi become the Jedi Order. They leave the Tython system, make contact with the Republic, and slowly but surely wind up becoming the Jedi Order as tied into the Republic that we are used to seeing. Um, we don't get any of that. We get hints of it in things like the Old Republic MMO looking back on it, and we've got all these guidebooks telling us it's going to happen. But Dawn of the Jedi could have kept going for a very long time to literally give us the Dawn of the J-E-D-I, as the mm -hmm. title says, as opposed to the, you know, Dawn of, or the climax of the J-E apostrophe D-A-I-I. -I. You know, it, that would have been one of the things I would have liked to have seen, but that was less a casualty of them just stopping in, in terms of a story and just saying, okay, that's a satisfactory conclusion, as we'll get to with another series, um, so much as that was a matter of, well, they were about to lose the license to Marvel, so they just brought it to an end where they could. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving towards satisfactory conclusions, Imperial Commando 2, you know, that book never came out. Karen Travis did give us the ideas of where she was going to go with the fates of a lot of those characters, which leads into Sev's fate from Republic Commando, the game itself. You know, we never knew what happened to him. See, there's a part of me with Imperial Commando that says, no, I don't want to know anymore. I'm interested in what happened to Sev after the video game. I'm interested in seeing what happens to those characters that we knew and loved so much for so long after things become, you know, the Empire. After the Republic is gone, the Empire is risen. Now they are Imperial Commandos rather than Republic Commandos. But the, the reference would be, well, Karen Travis just left before she had a chance to really show us and really give us an end to the story. Uh, with Imperial Commando 2 that could have come out, and then there was a point at which it was going to be written by somebody else, and... That wound up not being the case. Well, I think it was Aaron Alston who was going to do it, and it wound up becoming X-Wing Mercy Kill or something. But here's the thing. Karen Travis, I think, had an opportunity to wrap up those stories, and she gave us Imperial Commando 1, which was nothing but a bunch of the same freaking conversations and same character doubt things happening in circles for the entire freaking book. That was a book whose plot could have been done as a short story. She absolutely botched that last one. The other ones were terrific. Some of the best Star Wars storytelling of its era. And some of the most military-based Star Wars storytelling of all time. And then we got Imperial Commando 1 that was phoned in, writing in circles. Um, I kind of feel like in some of these cases, if we've got something where it's a loose end that could be continued, but the person tasked with continuing it botched the last time we saw it so bad that it should have already been concluded, but wasn't, I almost feel like we had our chance. 
You know, the, the, the blemish stands. You know, if they cut off your finger, you know, you may have had a chance to get that finger out of the way of that blade, but you know what? Your finger's gone now. It's still going to be a stump whether you wish you still had a finger or not. This is a stump. You got to admit, though, that 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 leg, uh, that line of thought actually is pretty smart because the end of Dark Nest wasn't good. And the end of the next series that followed, it wasn't that great. And Invincible wasn't the greatest ending either. And they all have Troy Denning in common. Oh, Denning, I love you, but you're not a great closer. Speaking of closing, I know exactly where you were heading next, which is that whole satisfactory conclusion issue, which, of course, brings us to what? That brings us to Finn Galfridian, which I, you know, it's a comic series that you could say is just not necessary, but I felt that it was necessary. You know, it helped establish that the New Jedi Order was more than just one book series of nine books. It was an era. And they started fleshing it out, and they tell us all this great stuff about, hey, guess what? Finn's mom's not really his mom. His mom died. This lady came along later. Guess what? She's got a little dark secret. She's a little bit vongy. What? She's a shaper. What? She did experiments on Finn. What? He's got something growing inside his stomach. We're never going to talk about that, though, because that's not part of the satisfactory conclusion. B.S., Stradley. B.S., man. What the heck? You cannot set that up. In the era of the Yuzun Vong, and then not tell us what in the hell's growing inside this kid. Ah, there's so much about that story. The way, and I mean, his planet gets devastated by the Vong, but he gets absolutely no revenge. There's no, I mean, there's, ah, there's so much about that story that did not end. But it, I, for me, it hinges back onto what in the heck is growing inside Finn. See, there's a lot of times where just as a, as a media fan in general, whether it's movies, television, series, comics, books, whatever, there are so many times that we run into seeing a story end what we feel like is prematurely. You know, uh, Firefly is a great example of that. And we just say, oh, this sucks. We want more. And you've got a lot of these cases where where it ends, you would have wanted more, but at least where it ended was an okay ending. Uh, you take Heroes, which is about to come back as Heroes Reborn. Say what mm -hmm. you will about the latter seasons of Heroes, and they certainly didn't stack up to the first season at all. It right ends with almost right like yeah, it ends with almost like a coda to the first episode, and it makes for a decent point of saying, okay, well, if it's gonna end, it should end here. Uh, Quantum Leap would have been awesome to see more episodes of Quantum Leap, but that final episode, Mirror Image, is so emotionally impactful. And just kind of stops there. You could add a whole new series based on it, based on some of the things that Sam learned mm -hmm. in that final episode. But instead, it marks the end. It becomes an, it, a conclusion that is satisfactory in a story sense, but maybe not to us emotionally in the sense that we want more and we love that series. And with Star Wars, that happens a lot. I think that with Dawn of the Jedi, we had a satisfactory conclusion. I would have loved to see it keep going. There's a lot more questions still unanswered. But at least Force War was a conclusion that felt like a conclusion, and we could be willing to step away from it at that point. To have Invasion be the one series to which Randy Stradley has said it had a satisfactory conclusion, that is one of the biggest lines of complete, you're going to have to censor it, bullshit that we have seen in Star Wars publishing. Because... In no way could that possibly be a satisfying conclusion to that series. Nothing got resolved. Everything is ramping up. 
it'd be like if we the Star Wars films ended with Empire Strikes Back. You know, everything is building. There's all this tension. What's going to happen next? We're finally giving a crap about these characters, the Galfridians over here. It's finally feeling like its own series, not just New Jedi Order Redux. And then it ends. All these big revelations, then it ends, and nothing is ever resolved, even in guidebooks or anything else, with that family and with those characters. How they could have said it was a satisfactory conclusion blows my mind because it's, it's it's the exact opposite. I could see someone saying something satisfactory if it's not, or satis- that it's completely satisfactory when maybe it was only satisfactory to maybe half the audience or something like that. But I don't see how someone could define that ending as a satisfactory conclusion in any sense whatsoever. And that's always going to be what sticks with That's why it becomes a joke on this show. Not because they ended it prematurely, but because they ended it prematurely, it was so obviously ended prematurely, Nothing was resolved, and yet that's the one where that phrase satisfactory conclusion was used to justify its ending, which makes zero sense, I think, to any of the readership, unless it's like Dark Times, in which if you would say, well, we canceled Dark Times after the second arc, that's a satisfactory conclusion, maybe it's because people like me were out there saying, this series sucks, I'm just satisfied that it is concluded, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, Star Wars did end with... Empire Strikes Back because it was Vader's story and the Empire had won. That that that's that's it right there. I mean, we just we got to embrace that. There was never anything following. Now I don't know. I mean, for me, there, that that's one that cracks me up. I I go back and forth with that one so much that I mean, it isn't necessarily necessary. But when I think of terms of what that story put out there, like yes, an ending to that is definitely necessary. Though I will say it did do one very positive thing. It freed up Tom Taylor to eventually, after other writing gigs, to become the writer, until recently, of Injustice Gods Among Us, which is probably the best DC comic series I've ever read. So, there is that satisfaction from the conclusion. That is true. You know, it, which leads me to conclusions in general, and one that I don't think you would be able to get unless you had the Legends Divide. One that if I were even question or ask for, I would be shunned before, but now it's probably going to be okay, and that is the death of the big three. It shouldn't matter now, right? Who cares that Luke in Legends dies? Or Leia, or Han, or all three at once. I, I think it's time in that regard that if they were to go and do a story now, I mean, imagine if we'd have got Crucible after we knew the fact that it was going to be a separate continuity. You know, Denning actually could kill one of the big three. That would have changed the outcome of that story tremendously. I mean, I don't know about you, Nate, but that's one that I would I would love to see a passing of at least one of those big characters in Legends. I'm going to have to agree with you on this. There was a rumor recently that Episode 7 you know, would wind up, because these actors are getting older, they, it might wind up killing off one or more of the big three just to sort of move us on so that then when we get to episode 8 and 9, it can focus more on the younger characters that this film's probably going to focus more on anyway. Um, and it, it had me sitting back thinking, you know, it's funny. Because they talked about how, well, you can't do that in Legends. You know, that would just it would be horrible. You know, it would, it would scar people. There would be, there'd be all this outrage and such. I mean, look what happened when we killed Chewbacca. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now there's rumors, I think rightly so, whether it's true or not, but rightly so, rumors that that could happen in Episode 7, because just from a filming standpoint and the ages of the actors, it makes sense to try to you know, shift 
the focus. And one of the ways to do that in a very dramatic fashion is to kill off characters, or at least a character, and sort of reset the board. And that's something that the Legends continuity was always somewhat afraid to do. Even when they got the okay to kill off someone, killed off Chewbacca, who, granted, was an important character, but not as important as Han, Luke, or Leia. Han, Luke, and Leia get to keep going. And it's not like they could say, well, well, for all we know, Luke just lives forever because all that medical technology in Star Wars, they can just live and live and live. You don't need to see them die. We now know that Luke at least dies. Presumably the other two do as well, probably just of mm -hmm. old age. But we know Luke does because we see Luke as a Force ghost in Legacy. So why not have given us that? I would totally agree. Crucible would have been a very different book. Assuming, you know, Denning pulled off a, you know, a solid closing. Um, <laughs> if we had seen that happen. But then again, there's a part of me that sits back and says, yes, but if it had happened in such a hugely dramatic fashion, you would have expected maybe even a slight reference to it in Legacy, which of course had already been concluded. And there would have been that same thing before of, wow, uh, it's like, like a lot of times you see people say with some of the prequel era stuff, you know, you would think that they would have thought about this or mentioned this whole kind of thing, you know? But it turns out the reason they didn't mention it was, hey, those books that happened between hadn't been written yet. Yeah, like R2 holding on to all those secrets until Darknest. Oh, hey, he's got a little glitch. Uh, you know, it, it gets me, though, to another thing with Denning and Closing. Jag becoming the Emperor. Uh, Crucible went out of its way to take what Legacy had set up with the fact that, you know, Jagadfell or his son Jagadfell was the first Emperor. And we knew that that was, you know, we were on a march that direction. Jaina was already walking away to go with the Imperials. We're like, ooh, is Jaina going to be the founder of the Imperial Knights? So there's that question. And then the Jag angle. And Denning had the opportunity to set that in motion, and instead, what's he do? He has Jag step away from being the Emperor at the end of that book, which was kind of in the opposite direction of any kind of closure there. Knowing that that was going to be the last book, or the handoff book, or whatever, that was one that, that while not necessary, it was one of those that had me scratching my head, is why would you drop that plot right then and there, unless you were planning on doing something more, not knowing that they were going to end it. Now, speaking of that gap... I mean, there's also the thing that, I mean, it could be handled by a guidebook or something, but I would certainly like to know. Heck, maybe Leland Chi could just make a Twitter post about it or something. Um, but I want to know the lineages. We've mm -hmm. got two lineages of heroic characters, uh, the main characters of two different volumes of Legacy, to whom we've never really been given the background. We know that with uh, Cade Skywalker, the thought process is that it goes from Luke to Cade. Well, Anakin included, going all the way up to Cade. And we assume that since Mar is dead at this point, Luke only has the one child, Ben, and we never see anything in the Legends continuity of him like getting remarried and having another child or something, we assume it's Anakin to Luke to Ben. And we know eventually it's Cole and Nat Skywalker as brothers. And it's Cole that then with Morrigan Cord slash Nina Calixta has Cade. But the, the, the number of generations, if any, between Ben and Cole, or Ben and the generation of Cole and Nat, has never been clarified. Is there a generation in between? Are there two generations in between? Is it possible Ben lived so long, and Cole was older than we thought, which isn't the case, I don't believe, uh, that perhaps there isn't a generation in between them at all, and it's just 
know, Anakin, Luke, Ben, Cole, Cade. And the same thing, except to an even larger degree, with Anya. They purposely changed. There was a point at which I think they said it was the, the great-granddaughter, and then there was another time they said great-great-granddaughter, and they changed it, and then they said, well, we're just not going to say because we want to leave it vague. So we don't know what the heck's going on to get from Han and Leia to mm-hmm. Anya. Um, we don't even know who she's a descendant through. I mean, is she a descendant through Amelia, right, through Jason and Tanel Ka, and then Amelia slash Alana? Alana. Um, is that where it goes? And then several generations later or a couple generations later, you get Anya Solo? Or is it possible that maybe somehow, you know, Jaina and Jag, upon getting married, maybe Jaina, for whatever reason, keeps the Solo name? Or perhaps she and Jag at some point part and she goes back to having a Solo name and the child has a Solo name to eventually give us Anya Solo. Um, we don't know which of the twins it goes through. The only one that it can't be, of course is the one that's not the twin, which is Anakin, because he died before he had the opportunity to have a child, unless there's another story we really don't know about out there. Um, the potted plant had a kid! So, yeah, I mean, you don't necessarily need stories to tell that, but give us a guidebook. You know, give us a last, you know, and this is something else I wanted to get into uh, to an extent, so it's kind of a side comment here so we don't have to hate it later, but it'd be interesting to have guidebooks that are sort of end cap guidebooks for legacy mm. or for legacy for legends that, you know, yeah. a final essential guide to whatever, like an ultimate essential guide to that could then take a lot of these characters and fill in the gaps that we never got to see and sort of round out that history. Um, along with that, I would love to see an essential guide to the clone wars to explain <laughs> how it's meant to fit together. That's not a loose end that you would cover in a story, but for God's sake, do a guidebook or something to clean up the mess that Lucas and Filoni made, smashing through several years' worth of already pretty intricately planned out stories. The essential guide to saying goodbye to legends. I, I could actually get behind that. Uh, when it comes to the whole lineage thing, Ben's kids, I've always, I think Ben's line is the easier one. It's like you've got a simple solution here. Ben's kids are either Nat and Cole, or they're his grandkids or great-grandkids. When it comes to Anya Solo, I have a harder time because it's like, okay, once you get to Alana, Amelia Solo, she should, by all intents and purposes, lose that name when she has marriage or kid, unless she's having a kid out of wedlock and all that. And then it's like, what about the whole aspect of her ruling and being on the throne and all that? I mean, I I had a hard time with how her descendants could just disappear and be forgotten about. It, it gets back to that whole aspect, like what you're talking about with the Sith Order, and like I was mentioning with the Jedi just disappearing. It was like, wait, how would that line just drop off and just vanish like that? Because she did seem like a cast off, like nobody knew about or cared well, about yeah. anymore. Well, the lot was a line from uh, Maris CFL. Who the hell is Anya Solo? Yeah. Like, well, you know, I mean, <laughs> if we're keeping track of this, you know, you'd think the people in the universe would at least have some sense of it. If you're proud of your own heritage, don't you kind of keep an eye on the other big movers and shakers of the heritage? Or is there a point at which that heritage just completely has a falling out with you? It becomes like Hatfields and McCoys, and they're just like, screw you, we're going our separate ways. But again, it's not something <laughs> we ever got. Um, speaking of separate ways, uh, one thing that I would like to see for Legends, and again, this is something that could be easily dealt with in a guidebook. Not necessarily in a story. But now, 
thanks to season six of the Clone Wars, we need a story or we need a guidebook or something that's going to reconcile the timing of Dooku joining Sidious. Because we've got the Darth Plagueis novel and all this other material basically saying that he was a good guy, just a guy with doubts, until, oh, Qui-Gon dies and he gets seduced to the dark side and becomes Dooku, or becomes Dooku, becomes Lord Tyrannus working with Darth Sidious and so forth. Only now, thanks to the Lost One, we know he had to have been working with Sidious or working for the dark side to some degree before leaving the Jedi Order. Maybe the death of Qui-Gon was just a pretense because he sets up Sifo-Dyas prior to the events of the Phantom Menace. And while that kind of retcon or that kind of change makes perfect sense within story group canon because, hey, there aren't all these other stories built around it, and what Lucas said about him leaving after Qui-Gon's death doesn't necessarily need to be true whatsoever. Yeah, you kind of need something to clear it up within Legends because it's just created yet another continuity issue thanks to the Clone Wars. The difference being this one isn't during the Clone Wars. This one was a continuity issue created prior to it because of the flashback nature of what we learned. True that. Uh, You know, another one I had was when, if at all, did Palpatine first transfer his essence? You know, Legends always gave me the impression he'd been doing it for a while, come Return of the Jedi, but that was never actually established. And it was always something that I was kind of hoping we were going to work towards, the whole aspect of cloning. We knew that outbound flight, Palpatine gets the genetic markings and stuff for George Sabath, that he later then clones George Sabath. He also got DNA samples from Kenobi and Anakin on that, which was always something that was like, wait, he's got Anakin samples? Why aren't you cloning Anakin? Like, you clone Sabas, why not clone Anakin? So there was that angle as well. But Palpatine, when he first started using it and how that worked out, was always something that was intriguing to me. Uh, role-playing games and stuff talked about how he took his his essence and transferred it into uh, Azrael, I believe was the guy's name, one of his hands. And ended up making his way in that body to Biss where he had the rest of the clones and started transferring himself. I don't know if that was the first time he actually did that. Like he waited till his physical death to finally do it or if it was something he'd been doing for a while. So that was one of those things that always jumped up. Another one, too, is Mace Windu. You know, did he survive? I only ask in the aspect because this is totally unnecessary for the most part. But Darth Maul survived some pretty heinous stuff. It kind of leads you to wonder, you know, hey. Could Mace come back eventually? Because he did just lose a hand and get a little bit of force zappy zappy and then get knocked out a window. It's not as bad as getting cut in half and dropped down a really long shaft you can't see the bottom of. And yet Maul survived. So there's some potential there as well. Uh, Another very unnecessary one is Han and Chewie getting the Falcon back after Death Troopers. That was one of the weirdest endings to a book with the Millennium Falcon being stolen right out from underneath Han and Chewie and them left without the Falcon and no way home. Uh, (laughs) I was kind of like... Is there another book coming? What what are we doing with this? What's going on? Why would you leave it like that? Uh, it did make for an interesting book ending, but as an EU fan who likes some closure to things, that was one that I was kind of like, wait, you got you to gotta tell how that happens. I mean, we're, we're going to tell how Lando gets some AT-ATs, but we're not going to tell how they get the Falcon back? Really? So that one was one that always kind of struck me as odd as well. Yep, that was on my list, if only because it's something that we've talked about so often. That would have been a meaningful story to tell in the Star Wars Adventures Digests. Instead of giving us all these stories that really didn't matter to anything, give us a a quest where they wind up going and getting back the Falcon, as opposed to Han Solo and the Hollow Moon of Coria, which meant basically nothing. Um, Speaking of a loose end left by something 
that kind of left us scratching our head as to, well, it's obvious something must change. Why don't you tell us what does? Uh, I've made no secret about the fact that my favorite Star Wars games of all time were the Force Unleashed series. In particular, the Force Unleashed 1. I love those games uh, on the PS3, Xbox 360. Excellent graphics. Um, excellent storytelling for Star Wars, relatively speaking. I think they kind of botched a little bit on the second one. Um, but very intriguing characters, well-performed. It just really was something different. And I became very attached to the characters of Starkiller and Juno Eclipse. And then we get to the end of number two. And it leaves the question, well, several questions. What happens to Juno Eclipse in the future? What happens to this clone of Starkiller in the future? Or the clones of Starkiller? Because we know there's that one at least. But there were other ones we see being made at different stages in development in the little, um, like little web, not even web videos, like little bonus videos you can unlock on the Force Unleashed 2 and watch. They're mm -hmm. almost like motion comics. Um, and the ending, the bad ending of the Force Unleashed 2 brings in an evil clone of Starkiller. So, in theory, he should be out there somewhere, just not showing up, if you follow the good ending. So, to see something happen with what's left of, of Starkiller's story, or the clone Starkiller's story, and Juno's story would be interesting. And then, of course, there's the big head-scratcher, which is Vader. Vader is captured and in Rebel custody as of the end of The Force Unleashed 2. It's that whole great scene where Starkiller, or the clone Starkiller, basically stares him down. He's like, I let you live, etc., etc. Great scene. And how Vader's like, as long as she lives, as long as Juno lives, I'll always control you. right? Because he can always use her against Starkiller or threaten her to get what he wants and so forth. And we leave Vader in custody... And that's it. There was no The Force Unleashed 3. Not in book form, comic form, mm -hmm. or, you know, sadly, video game form. So we wind up with the obvious thing. Well, of course, just like Han and Chewie got the Falcon back after Death Troopers, Vader must get free. How does it happen? And where in the hell do Starkiller and Juno go? Do they just decide they've had enough of war, they're not going to keep fighting the Empire or anything, even though he was part of, well, his clone template was part of founding the thing? Nope, sorry. They're going to go off and, you know, chill on a beach somewhere the rest of their lives, or what? Something must end their story. And we never get that. that. That's something you see a lot, though, I think, with the original trilogy era. Which is the, if there are any Jedi or powerful rebels left alive from previously existing stories, like Starkiller and Juno, uh, where the hell are they? In all the other stories that follow. They either must have retired, or died, or something. Where are they? Another powerful question that has me itching really bad, and this is one I truly feel is necessary. What is going on with Jaden Kaur? Uh, You know, we get to Paul S. Kemp's duology of Riptide and Cross Current, and by the end of that, huge spoiler warning here, <laughs> he is in a clone body where his brain or or his essence has been transferred through a Rakatan device into this new body. And it seems to be a body that has like a dummy switch where I, I don't even know. There's like something going on and it's like he could be the key of something very freaking bad. And they, they've set up all this really cool stuff with that. And then boom, Legends is not continuing. So it's like, 
there will be no resolution to that. And that was looking forward. I mean, I was, they, they hadn't mentioned it. All we knew was there was going to be a Paulus Kemp unnamed duology, which everyone was like, Oh, we're going to get Jaden course. Yeah. Then, then of course legends come and that, that became one of those books that we don't know what's ever going to happen to. So for me, that's one that I really truly feel is necessary because it, it had so much going on for that character and, and potentially going on for that era that it was like, wait, you can't just leave it like that. No, you can't do that to me. Yeah, Jaden Core, side character, not one I tend to think of too much when it comes to loose ends, but he certainly had some heavy loose ends left that we never got a chance to see an ending to. I, I wonder if that should have been a trilogy rather than a two-book series, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of something else that sort of ended just as it was getting going, not something I necessarily think that we need to see more of. Because there weren't any huge overarching storylines yet that needed to see closure. But I would have loved to see more of one of the more interesting Star Wars series to come out in the last you know, five years, give or take, which was John Ostrander's Agent of the Empire. I really was starting to like the idea of this sort of James Bond in space type of feel to those stories. And uh, Jahan Cross was becoming an interesting character. So we got to know a little bit more about him and such. And it was just a different atmosphere. It wasn't always handled perfectly. But it just was something different, a different flavor in Star Wars. If Jedi versus Sith is sort of the vanilla and the chocolate, and the starfighter combat and the military stuff is sort of the strawberry, this was Rocky Road. I mean, this is something <laughs> very different that maybe you don't want to see all Star Wars do. But it was transposing a new genre into it. Just like Death Troopers brought in the zombies, this really brought in sort of the James Bond feel. And yet we only got, what was it, two story arcs? And then it was over. Yeah, it was a quick one. Uh, Getting back to stuff that could have been wrapped up in Crucible. uh, We've got the quest of the Ten Knights and their search for the Dagger of Mortis to defeat Ableth. Like, you've got this big bad that, hey, she kind of slipped away. We need this knife to kill her. But we're never going to find out about that. Uh, and the other side of that was Leia becoming a Jedi Master. They did go out of their way to make Jaina a Jedi Master by the end of that series. But I truly felt that it was wrong that Leia never earned that title. Uh, you know, Leia has ran the Republic, uh, the New Republic. She's ran the Rebellion. She's done so much in her lifetime. And when all the stuff that went down with Luke happened the fact that they didn't tap her to become the the interim grandmaster so to speak was just asinine i was always shocked by that and and it seemed to kind of lean back to the fact that she just wasn't a jedi master yet and i don't know i always felt that that was that was wrong that that she should have had it i remember an earlier book where luke had talked about the fact that you know some jedi were politicians some were some were doctors and things like that and that leia was a jedi even though she wasn't training to be a warrior uh, which, of course, later during the New Jedi Order, she actually embraced and, and went full Jedi, which was a great turn for the character. So seeing her not get her time as a Jedi Master kind of sucked. Yeah, the the gap between Crucible and Legacy is, there's so much you could fit into there. I mean, it, it's a it's a gigantic time period to begin with. Uh, and it's kind of odd to say that, you know, with Star Wars, well, shoot, there's these stories over here that have thousands of years between them. I already mentioned the whole thing with the Old Republic versus what comes up with uh, Darth Ruin and such. You know, that's 1,600 years. And yet, when we get to the era of the films and onward, most of the time, you know, especially between the films, there's not a chance for the characters to stop and use the restroom. And may I say, kudos to Kevin Hearn for how many restroom references there are in (laughs) Heir to the Jedi. 
they actually acknowledge the fact that people sometimes need to change clothes, need to use the restroom, need to wash their face, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, but once you get past the era of the films themselves and into that era beyond it, it's still pretty chock full. Stories each year, stories sometimes months apart. It's not really until we get up uh, past Fate of the Jedi and past Crucible that you get this huge open gap until the legacy stuff starts, or the flashback stuff, I guess, in legacy starts. Um, so yeah, we need things like the, or we could stand to have the lineages of the characters, you know, what happens with the founding of the Imperial Knights, what about Jaina and Jag and eventually going to Emperor Rowan Fell, et cetera, et cetera. But you're right, there's also, they set up, it seemed like they were setting up another multi-book series, like perhaps Sword of the Jedi, maybe that's referring to not just Jaina, but also the Dagger of Mortis. Um, mm. This idea that, hey, we still have more stuff that's going to tie it into Clone Wars, albeit that you know, trilogy of episodes that broke its own rules by the third act. Um, but here's these other tie-in stuff. Abeloth is still out there. Let's, you know, let this be the next big thing. And then it was gone. You know, because they were essentially resetting continuity. Sword of the Jedi is presumably gone. And with it goes that entire storyline. Presumably it gets resolved at some point. But it's now in that gap of time that is essentially a mystery. Is To take a, a an angle on the way Shelley Shapiro referred to things a while back about the legends versus looking at history and whatnot, it's a period of history that's almost like the Dark Ages. There is a time in which a lot of the historical information is just not existent, so we don't know what exactly happened. We can only draw conclusions and assumptions based on what little information it is that we've got. Um, yeah, that that gap in between... Granted, I wonder if it ever would have been fully filled, but certainly it seemed as though they were setting up at least some things in that gap that we would actually have seen, that it mm -hmm. turns out that as plans changed, we didn't wind up getting to see. And I would definitely say Sword of the Jedi as a series of three books, or even as, a, as one book, would be a necessary one, only because of that closure feeling that I feel that Crucible did not give us. You know, the aspect of Jag was supposed to be the Emperor, and yet Denning kind of walked him away from that. The, the you know, the Ten Knights, the whole aspect of what's going on with Jaina as the quote-unquote Sword of the Jedi herself. Uh, so that book series, I definitely feel like as a closure aspect, we truly could use that one. Well, and another one along that line is Verger. Uh, later on in the series, they decided to retcon her into a Sith uh, or a Sith acolyte. You know, the backstory there, if that's actually the case they're going to go with, I would love to have them do some backstory there to make that more where it makes sense to the reader. I mean, I still, when I read that, there's a part of me that's like, Lamaya was lying. She was just lying out her butt. I mean, I, I have a hard time trusting a Sith when she was saying that. Uh, you know, there's so many aspects of everything that Verger was teaching Jason to have her turn around and it was all a Sith trick cheapens a lot of what happened in the New Jedi Order to me. So if that is the actual route they're going to go, if they are going to commit to her being a Sith Alkalite, I would love to have them go back and do a old story set in the prequel era where they actually give some background to that that to me would be a, a, i i feel that one is is necessary only because i'm a huge new jedi order fan so at least i'm i'm acknowledging that fact that there's a little fan service there <laughs> i'm actually kind of surprised since you keep going into that you know that that later era that you haven't mentioned yet the one that's been like your touchstone on this issue since well before anything changed with legends, 
<laughs> Which, of course, is what came out of Rogue's End. That being Hondo Carr, correct? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I, would be, I was kind of leaving him a little towards the end. That is the biggest one to me that was the biggest head scratcher when Legacy Volume 2 came forward. I truly, even in the last issue, was like, okay, they're going to they're gonna find some way to tie it in. Even in the last few panels of the last episode of Legacy Volume 2, they did some tie-in stuff to Legacy Volume 1, but there was nothing with Hondo Carr. Last we saw Hondo Carr, he was on a mission to kill Mandalore and restore honor to the Mandalorians. And because of Legacy and KOTOR, these eras at the far-flung reaches of the Saga of Legends, they gave me this feel overall that the Mandalorians were on par with the Jedi and Sith in terms of factions that influenced the galaxy. And so to have like this whole Mandalorian story that hinged upon their society, you know, I mean, this was a major thing for them as a culture. And yet to have it not be told was kind of like, really? Wow. Did we drop, how did we drop the ball there? Was there going to be another legacy after war that was going to be called like legacy Mandalorians or something like that, that they just, that John Ostrander never was able to get to. Yeah. That, I mean, as much as it's kind of become the running gag for us to keep mentioning that because it is, a prime example of this sort of thing, kind of like the whole invasion satisfactory conclusion thing. I got to agree. I mean, it was one of the more intriguing aspects that we got. And they spent an entire issue giving us that background. And it never felt like that was just designed to wrap up that character and send him out of the story. It felt like it was to wrap up that character and send him into a new story that would run alongside everything else. But things got so wrapped up in trying to get to the end of Cade's story and get us to Legacy War and whatnot that we mm -hmm. never really got a chance to see it. I wonder if that was a a decision that was made when they started to realize when they were going to need to wrap Legacy up. I think that was another of those times, if I remember correctly, where Dark Horse was trying to sort of reinvent itself. And, oh, these series, they're way too high in number. Nobody's going to jump into them with issue number 50, so let's just cancel them and such. Um, the other ones that I've got, um, aside from one, I've got three left. Aside from one that's just kind of a tongue-in-cheek thing that I think would be kind of interesting, there's two that I feel like are incomplete series but not incomplete in the sense of really us being missing anything specific for Legends. Um, Infinities. I loved Infinities, A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back to a lesser degree, and Return of the Jedi. They were very cool ways of saying what could have happened in Star Wars. Here's some what-if stories. Take one thing in the films, change it, and you get this whole other universe. And... They never went back and did that at all for the prequels. Granted, maybe it's not as fertile a territory. Maybe it wouldn't have drawn in as many casual readers as ones based on the original trilogy. But I would love to have seen Infinities, The Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, and Revenge of the Sith. And along the same lines of something that didn't get wrapped up, the nature of the way that they dealt with the manga adaptations was to take ones that existed in Japan and essentially bring them over to the U.S. and release them. So you had ones for the classic trilogy and one for the Phantom Menace, albeit a smaller one, a shorter one. But we never got to see that treatment done for Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. And those were some of the most faithful and awesome looking comic adaptations we've ever seen of Star Wars stories. And yet, from a film saga standpoint, at least for the classics and prequels, it is an incomplete set. Those two stand out to me as ones we, it'd be nice to see. But I'm not even sure they would need to be labeled as legends. It's just stuff outside of the continuity as it exists. The manga mm. ones only because of the way they adapt things and make things look a little different. Um, but Infinities, by its very nature, could be outside of any continuity. 
they could still do that now. True. True. Uh, you know, another one like that, uh, Rebellion, it ended right there at Vector, kind of just like, wait, what? Total stop. Where is Alpha? You know, and that ties into, as you were saying, Nathan, you know, what was going on with the different Clone Wars and stuff. I mean, you know, from Alpha into Rex, and then we've got Apo. It's like, what happened there? What was going on with the structure? That could easily be told in a number of different ways. Uh, it, you know, from here, most of my list comes from a lot of you Beyonders. Uh, but another one that Nathan kind of touched on with the book coming out is Quinlan Voss's fate. And while that book will give us a canon fate to a degree of what's going on with Voss, there's still nothing legend side of things. Last we know about Voss, he uh, went off after uh, Revenge of the Sith and had a baby and went into hiding. So there's that angle of what was going on with him. Uh, you know, some of the ones you Beyonders put out there was uh, self-determination for the Nagri people, which I thought was kind of funny. Uh, another one was uh, about how Luke and R2, when they're together, there's something very special uh, and they would like to see, uh, you know, the saga through the eyes of R2's uh, eye receptor, which was kind of interesting. Uh, whatever happens to Hethra's world craft from the crystal star who's driving that around these days was an interesting one. Uh, one person had asked about Revan's fate, although when that came out, that was right before the shadow of Revan came out, which I... I I went Nathan's route and I watched the, uh, the, the footage for that. And I had to admit, I thought that was an interesting little twist. Cause you're like, okay, who's, you know, at one point it gets to this point where, where Revan's spirit shows up and you're like, wait, Revan's spirit, then who's in Revan. And by the time you get to the end, and this is a spoiler for the whole Revan plot here, you find out that Revan split. He, the good side, the light side left his body and joined the force but everything, his training in the dark side and everything else stayed behind and kept himself alive and kind of all a Darth Ruin or, or Darth Maul in that regard. And what you're seeing of the shadow of Revan is literally the shadow of the dark side that was left of Revan. So it was an interesting little twist to that character. Uh, another one was uh, Centerpoint Station, although I will admit that uh, Legacy of the, of the Force and Fate of the Jedi kind of gave us some of what was going on with that. And we kind of get some little tidbits from uh, the RPGs and stuff like that with what the Rakatans did with that system and things of that nature. So that was always something. Uh, another one was the rule of two between Zana to Darth Plagueis. Uh, that would be another one of those that they could ever explore and go into as well. Oh, and another one that would actually you know be a good one to see would be the Adventures of the Chunthar. Uh, that's the Jedi space station that was a spaceship, starship of a pretty vast size. It was first seen in uh, the courtship of Princess Leia, and Luke finds it. That's where he gets a lot of the, the training material and stuff that he forms the Praximon. But Yoda was the one that was responsible for getting everyone off of uh, Dathomir when it, when it crashed right there. And I always thought, you know, it'd be kind of cool if they did like a Star Trek Next Generation type show where you've got the space station flying around from place to place. You could even have a young Yoda instructing some of the classes and they go from planet to planet, system to system, quelling whatever, you know, injustice or, or troubles are, are rising, collecting other Jedi along the way and that stuff. I mean, I think that would be a cool story as well. And the last one that we have here from the Beyonders is the Chiss slash Empire of the Hand retcon story. Uh, and that one, honestly, okay, I know there's an issue there, but I haven't read the last Zon book that kind of tied into a lot of that that helped either add to the mystery, add some of the answers, or continue to make it more crazy. I know there's an issue revolving around how many kids Baron Suterfell had, aka how many brothers and sisters does Jag have, 
and what was going on with the Empire of the Hand and the Chiss Ascendancy. So, you know, I, I don't exactly have a clear picture of what all would need to be retconned there, but I do know that there is a tangled nest going on there somehow. I don't even want to think about some of the more recent Zahn stuff. Scoundrels was actually all right, but man, choices of one. The last one I have. Something that I think would be interesting, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek because it's almost like, you know, the way they dealt with things in Star Trek and they said, well, here, we're going to do these new films, so let's do some time travel and have it reset things and create this new alternate timeline so it makes sense and we can justify what we're doing. Uh, One of the ongoing questions with Star Wars has always been, you know, if it's a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, uh, does that mean that it's supposed to actually exist and does that mean that... Our Earth exists somewhere in that universe, and therefore, is there a connection between the two and so forth? And the story that eventually became the Lucasfilm-derived book series Alien Chronicles was at one time Alien Exodus, and meant to be a Star Wars story, or a, a Lucasfilm story, I guess, in a sense, because it was meant to connect together the humans of our world and our future, um, connected backwards into the Star Wars galaxy and its era and also would have brought in elements of things like THX 1138 uh, as part of that future of Earth. And just the idea that it would have explained how do we get the stories of the galaxy far, far away? How do we know it's a galaxy far, far away? How do we know it was a long time ago? And if it's a long time ago, does that really make it a history and a history of what? What's the connection to us? Uh, I always thought that would be a kind of a cool concept. I can understand why they scrapped it because it was... It's kind of an outside-the-box meta-type kind of storytelling, and given the time frame in which this was being discussed back then, I could see it not working out so well. I mean, this was back in, uh, gosh, I guess it was uh, the late 90s at the time. Uh, Some of the material was released by the author, uh, Robert J. Sawyer. He released it online as fan fiction, supposedly, uh, back in 2003-2004, but it, it was one of those things that always sounded interesting to me, and if you're going to give an end cap to things and link it to us in any way, mm-hmm. doing it as a story is a pretty creative, cool way to do it. So yeah, it may be kind of tongue-in-cheek to say, hey, why don't we get that story? But again, if you're going to see them continue Legends, which again, I doubt, it's kind of like what Mark was saying earlier about the big three. We're at the point now where we can say all the gloves are off. Anything is fair game as long as you can make it make sense within the storyline because you now no longer have to worry about saying this is the official continuation because now it isn't. Now it's just Mm -hmm. an official continuation in that it's a continuation that was produced legally and for years was what they were putting out as the official continuation, but it doesn't hold a candle in terms of canonicity to what's being produced now. Therefore... You don't have to worry about people saying, well, you can't do that. That doesn't fit with real Star Wars because you can always turn to those naysayers and say, you know what? You're right. Real Star Wars now doesn't include this. So quit your bitching. And the last thing I have, which can kind of go into what you're saying about an Exodus type story. Jason during either uh, it was during the Force Heretics story. It was either Remnant or Refugee. When they start going out looking for Zenoma Sakat, they run into a section of space where space and time is fractured and i recall it was described as jason was looking at a parallel universe tearing itself apart 
from the main universe that the universes were splitting. And I remember at that moment thinking, you know, is this like going to be a later plot? Because it was so far off from what they were there doing that it, it just, I don't know, something about it like rose like a little ding, a little question mark above my head. Like, why are they putting so much you know, into this? Uh, and, and I don't know, maybe think of the fact that, you know, Lucas himself has called the expanded universe a parallel universe and, you know, the whole tongue in cheek of a long time ago. I don't know. I could I could see in a world of Marvel them them continuing it down the road, uh, which I guess will be our, our final thoughts here. You know, I don't hold my breath that it's going to happen. I just maintain hope that there's enough fans that would like to see continuations of stories that maybe down the road they'll give us some stories. I just hope that if they do that, they're all stories that wrap things up. No, they'll give us stories that continue to add more questions that will need more more books for later because i think that's the direction we definitely need to move away from i'm okay with eventually walking away from legends 100 but i have to have some closure right now with crucible being what it was i don't have that closure uh and i think for me as a fan i have a hard time hearing other fans telling me to get over it because it's like well you know while it's all fine and good that we've got this new stuff and you can survive just on that new stuff not all of us can and, you know, it, it's it's a little rough when you got someone telling you, you know, oh, just mourn the death already and get over it when they're still enjoying the thing that they're enjoying. And it's like, well, you know, I've been around long enough to see the thing that we enjoy shrivel up and die over and over again. And I know that it's just a matter of time before something comes around and something of canon is going to end up getting debauched and, and die on its own. There, It's just going to happen sooner or later. It's the nature of the beast. Life's about circles and this circle is going to come around. It's just a matter of time. So in that regard, I, I, I think that we could have Legends if it was done right. I just think that the fandom needs to calm down a little bit and kind of be a little more accepting of everyone else right now. I see a lot of just people trying to explain themselves and then other people just jumping on each other's throats and it just devolving into full-on just attacks. And I think that that's where there are contingencies in our fans that are using those attacks both directions to just continue to fragment our fandom and are continuing to just keep the, the concept that Legends needs to stay dead and that fans that love Legends needs to die with it. And I, I think that that is becoming a problem in our fandom that I, I would love to see us step away from. You know, I want to get back to a place where we can accept the fact that it's a parallel universe. We can accept that it can live or die next to canon and just move on. I'm ready. And, you know, one of the things that I see a lot when people are really, really ramping up the hate, it's the, you know, Lucasfilm doesn't like us, Lucasfilm hates us, you know, they hate the EU fans, they hate the EU. Uh, for years, they were the ones putting out the Expanding Universe or Legends stuff. Uh, I do believe in what Shelley Sapiro said, that they do care about those stories and care about those characters, but that's not what's being developed anymore. Um, you have this new canon necessitated by Disney and whatnot, and it's going to go its own direction, necessitated in many ways by the new films that are going to be coming. But there's this assumption that there's some kind of ill will, in some cases, for from Disney or from Lucasfilm now or from whoever towards those fans that were fans of the Legends continuity, especially those who right now are are vehemently calling for you know, story group canon to end, it shouldn't be out there at all, find a way to work it all in with everything else and just keep Legends going, etc., etc., make that the only continuity still, blah, blah, blah. And part of me has to sit back and say, you know, I don't think they care enough. 
to be thought of as, in a lot of ways, the enemy. Um, it reminds me a lot of pre-9-11 America, or perhaps even more so uh, pre-1990s America, and Islamic extremism, or Middle Eastern terrorism, whatever you want to call it, which is the line that was in the 9-11 report. They were at war with us, we weren't at war with them. Except I think now it's the opposite. It feels as though those who are particularly wanting legends to continue in the absence of any kind of this new canon, um, who are saying, I will never buy another Star Wars thing again, I will never watch Rebels, blah, blah, blah. I want to see if these people say they'll never watch the new films. Um, are basically saying, we're at war with Lucasfilm because of this decision. Problem is, they're not at war with you. You may dislike their decisions. You may dislike where they're taking the continuity, just like in the past. You may have disliked where they took a particular set of books or anything. Uh, or Lucas going his own way on the Clone Wars and smashing through the previous stuff. The thing is, I don't think the powers that be within Lucasfilm care enough to be against those particular people within fandom. And I don't mean they don't care in the sense that they're apathetic or don't care in the sense that they dislike someone and are dismissing them so much as I'm not sure how much that actually enters their mindset. They're making decisions on a creative level, on a what's best for the franchise level, and on a business level. I don't think there's ill will or ill intent of any kind or purposeful dismissal of those out there who have followed the continuity for a very long time, or the Legends continuity for a very long time, loved it for so long, and have been consumers for Star Wars for so long. It's just that that's not the direction things are going right now. Uh, to make a business decision that, like, for instance, if I was with a company back in the days when the, the move was being made from VHS to DVD, I don't think that those who loved VHS and didn't want to buy a DVD player or something to see new films as they were released, if they were out there saying, the companies hate us, they're against us, they're the enemy because they want DVD instead of VHS, I don't think you would have seen the companies themselves putting the movies out having really any ill will towards those people. They made a business decision to go towards DVD, and that was it. And they were trying to promote what they had and hopefully get some of those folks who were holdouts to eventually jump over to the new format. Um, but it would very much have been people, you know, you know, the companies are at war with us. No, they're really not. You may be at war with them and angry over the decision, but that's not the way they think about it. It's not their mindset for it. Uh, it's like anything else. It's like what Lucas said about the films. That one big regret he has with Star Wars is that he wasn't able to watch them as an audience member and get that kind of feeling. To him, it was always his creative project and the struggle to create it. And he's kind of looking forward to the sequel trilogy because that will be something that, at least for the most part, he can experience as an audience member. Um, we got to remember that the people behind the scenes doing the nuts and bolts stuff look at this in a different way. Their aspect of the process is different than ours. We're the consumer. They're the producer. And no matter how wrapped up we get in the continuity and the products that they produce, we're never going to see things the exact same way. We can't take our perception, our point of view, our value system based on our experience and essentially project it onto them and assume that if they're doing something that we don't like, they're against us. It's just 
sort of the, again, as Mark said, the nature of the beast with what we're seeing. Just as I would imagine it's going to be the nature of the beast, as Mark said, that eventually there will be things that conflict in these stories. They will have to start to make the kind of decisions that wind up creating an informal or formal tiered system of continuity um, the way that they did with the T and G and all the other levels of canon previously. Um, and yeah, eventually, if Star Wars keeps going and keeps going strong, you'll get to a point where it's so gigantic and bloated that they would probably have to reboot it or relaunch it or whatever again. But all of this stuff is not to necessarily say those who lament the loss of Legends and want to see it continue are necessarily wrong or are at all, that their opinion should be at all dismissed. I'm just saying if we want to take an intellectually honest approach to the situation, we have to recognize that perspectives differ within fandom and between fandom and the business and creative side of things, and it's not going to be ideal for anyone, perhaps not ideal for everyone. It's just kind of the way it is, and we just have to move forward with it one way or the other. And that is the key right there, moving forward. I know I, I've said before, I use the hashtag continue legends and that's about it anymore. I mean, I'm, I'm, that's, that's it. That's my statement, you know, continue legends. I'm one of those fans. You know, are you a Marvel? Are you a DC? I'm a continue legends guy. Doesn't mean I want to see the new stuff disappear. Not at all. I want that stuff in parallel to the old stuff. I don't even need to have them be on, on par with a balance. I can be a, a plethora of canon stuff and, one or two items a year with Legends, I will be totally happy just knowing that it was going. The The fact that they haven't flat out 100% said it was dead, they've left their wording just enough that they could come back, leaves me with hope. And therefore, I will always use that hashtag and try to be as less obnoxious about it as I can. But at the same time, you know, this is my passion. I've been an EU fan first and foremost. You know, Star Wars, the films got me into it. But it was the books that kept my passion alive. I'm looking forward to moving into an era where the films are going to continue to help my passion grow. But I can't forget where my passion really blossomed. And that was in the pages of the Star Wars Expanded Universe. I would say the same thing. What kept Star Wars alive for me was the books, the, the comics and so forth. That's why I did the timeline. It's why I've been doing podcasting since 2002. Um... But there has to be, I think, more to the love of Star Wars. If you're a fan at sort of a core level, if it's affected you and your life as much as it has so many people, then there has to be a measure of, you know, is it just one thing to me or is it Star Wars as a whole? Is it just this continuity, but I hate everything else? Or is it the whole? Uh, and you mentioned the idea of there's a difference between, I guess, persistence and wanting to keep legends on people's radar so that hopefully maybe someday they'll present more versus being obnoxious about it. Mm -hmm. And I think the immediate counter-argument to that would be from those people who are being more obnoxious about it and being hateful to other fans and such and thinking that Lucasfilm is somehow the enemy uh, or Disney is somehow the enemy are those who would say, yeah, but obnoxious is the way to go. It's a form of civil disobedience because remember, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. My response to that would be, but if your wheel is squeaking into a hurricane, your squeaking means nothing <laughs> because they're not hearing it. 
Um, with all the stuff going on right now, remember, the EU fans are a huge contingent, but we've never, the diehard, we're going to buy everything groups, we've never been the majority of Star Wars fans in general, mm. which is why a lot of times we felt as though our opinions haven't mattered when making business decisions, because sure. we aren't the bulk. Um, we, I mean, we can do stuff out there like say, fine, I'm not going to buy any more Star Wars books until they bring Legend stuff back. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. But again, percentage-wise, it doesn't make a dent. I don't know if they will feel it. They might be feeling it now with ratings numbers on Rebels and with sales numbers on, for instance, A New Dawn. But maybe in the sense of maybe someone tapping on their shoulder, not someone coming up and punching them in the face. I don't see any type of protest and boycott having the type of impact that people would want. It's very much a matter of if you're going to try to convince Disney and Lucasfilm to continue Legends somehow, it needs to be done in a way that makes business sense to them mm -hmm. and is a persuasive argument done in a respectful form, not seem like a bunch of children throwing a tantrum, not being a squeaky wheel or someone spitting into a hurricane, but also not thinking somehow and overestimating that we've got the numbers. We've got 500 people, for instance, or <laughs> 5,000 people, and somehow overinflating that and thinking that we are a bigger percentage of Star Wars fandom and of the potential market for those products that somehow our tiny percent is going to sway what they think from a business standpoint works better for the other giant percent. Um, yeah. There are ways to go about it, but I don't know what ways have the potential to be effective, but it sure seems like a lot of the assumptions out there in fandom trying to continue legends are ways that almost are guaranteed to be ineffective just because of the tactics mm -hmm. being taken and the assumptions oh. being made. And, and they're on the verge of war with each other over it. And I get it emotionally vested. There, me, this guy. My kids are named after EU figures, EU characters, things of that nature. I have on multiple times cried over this. Yeah. Oh, look at that little weenie. Yeah. D yes. Okay. I'm emotional as hell over this. You know, I want to be able to just walk on and, and everything's happy and sunshine. I want to be a Kenny Crawley in this regard where everything is awesome all the time. I can't though. I, I I try so desperately, but I'm so emotionally vested and hurt in a lot of ways. And I know that it's nothing personal. It wasn't aimed at, hey Mark, we're gonna come in and we're gonna we're gonna stop all these books with Jaina Solo because you named your kid Jaina Solo. It's nothing like that. But there's that emotional aspect that I think that we also have to remember going into it when we start interacting with other fans and have that that gut check moment. I know for me right now. My gut check moment is when people tell me to, to, to get over it or to stop whining. You know, I, I immediately have a visceral reaction when I hear that. I want to shake those people that you're just not getting it. It's not about your, your it's, it's black and white. You know, there's a whole gray area. Come over to the gray area. You know, I mean, th that's for me. I mean, that, that's my standpoint. And it. it's like I try to see it as like I, I wish more fans were like me and just taking the stand of, you know, just use the hashtag and raise awareness. And maybe if there's enough 
awareness down the road that maybe then you could change, you know, the, the public opinion. Cause it seems to me like public opinion thinks that the original trilogy is awesome and the prequel trilogy sucks. And I know plenty of prequel trilogy fans out there that disagree with that. So I'm like, you know, if we can get enough people to kind of come all together here and say, Hey, we're okay with there being two universes and stuff. I, I don't know. For me, the, the two universes side by side route is, is the only way moving forward. I can see EU fans getting to be happy. Uh, yeah, not all of us will be happy, but it's the only way that legends can continue to live. Otherwise, it is it is going to just slip off of life support and completely die. Uh, and and for me, you know, I I get back to that. It's it's the dog scenario in your family. You know, the, the EU has become a loved, cherished member of my family. You know, I mean, I've had many conversations with my wife and my kids. I mean, a lot of my religious views were were founded and based off of concepts that I was thinking about with the force and the way the Jedi were looking at it and things like that. I mean, a lot of who I am is, is founded in the EU. So I get the emotional aspect for fans out there. So I keep coming back to that is, you know, when you have that moment, when your ivory gets raised because of a comment that was said or an outlook that isn't being seen that you want to, to point out, it's such a, a trepidatious time right now that I watch things like 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 I mentioned at the beginning of this episode where uh you know that one group where they jumped on each other. This one guy had mentioned, you know, how many years have you been a Star Wars fan? I've been a fan for 25 years. He did it as a form of clarity to try to get understanding from the other person and the other person jumped on it as, "Oh, well, now my fandom is being called into question." And I I I mean reading everything they said it's like I could get exactly why the person thought that and I can see why the other person thought it too all based on how I was reading it and the frame of mind my brain was in while I read those words. And I think that that's the only thing I can say to us as fans is you know remember we love Star Wars and Star Wars is so big it's so much bigger than our own points of view and it encompasses so many points of view that we got to remember that just because it's something that we love that's continuing and it's something that we don't care about ending that we may not be so cavalier about it. You know, I mean, and, and vice versa. I mean, the, the trolling going on on both sides of the fence. I just can't we all just get along. I mean, that's really what I want is just that that and and being in fandom for the, the 15 plus years I've been. It's always felt like we fans have been a war over our points of views. And I don't know if that's ever going to stop. I just kind of wish we could step in that direction and end end it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in the end, they're going to produce what they're going to produce. And fans have always been divided on the things that we like the most. Mm-hmm. Prequel-centered fans, Clone War-centered fans, EU-centered fans, fans who were original trilogy purists, you know, I will never buy the special editions, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, type folks. But it should not, because of this time of change, and all these different ways of looking at fandom, we have to remember that it does differ by person, like anything else, like politics, like religion. There are different perspectives on these things, and we should be at least open to being willing to accept those other ideas. Again, going back to the to the whole comparison with you know terrorism and whatnot. You know, one of the lines for a long time was, "Well, if you censor." which is a whole issue recently with uh, what happened in France and everything, uh, if you censor, the terrorists win, right? Uh, one of the great lines out of the Isaac and Ishmael episode of The West Wing that happened that was uh, shown after 9-11 that I used to use in my classes is you really want to hit them where it hurts? Remember pluralism. Keep accepting more than one point of view. It drives them crazy. A cornerstone 
of Western society is being willing to accept multiple points of view, even the ones you despise, right? Uh, the, the, the keystone of, the fr of freedom of speech cannot just be, you know, a, you know the symbol of a flag and the, the freedom to be able to fly it. It must also be the willingness to watch and allow while someone burns that flag in protest, for instance. In Star Wars, it's the same thing. You know, if we want a positive community, a free and open community of ideas for the franchise, we need to be willing to accept multiple points of view, even if we disagree. That doesn't necessarily mean that our view is compromised any more than being someone who accepts one religion, being willing to allow other people of other religions to live, is somehow going against the, the, the degree to which they adhere to their own. We have to be willing to accept those other ideas, and hopefully... Star Wars will not find itself degenerating. I would say, like Mark, a lot of my views for a long time, what made me kind of the person I am today, I would say is a combination of a handful of things. Um, you know, Obviously, the way I was raised by uh, my mother for so long, um, for a long time it was trying to be different than the way I, I perceived my dad when I was young versus now trying to be more like him now that I'm older. Um, and some of the things that I see very differently than I did when I was young. And, and I know he's very different than when I was young, I guess. Um, but a lot of the concept, concept of good and evil, right and wrong, that eventually led me to thinking about spirituality at all, and eventually wound up with me being deist, and then eventually now I'm a Protestant, non-denominational, non otherwise Protestant Christian, uh, was Star Wars. Star Wars was a foundational experience, as it was sort of meant to be by Lucas, to be sort of a modern myth that gives us the things that connect us and and give us a, a way of looking at things in a way that, that transcends race, gender, uh, religious background, ethnicity, uh, national origin, and so forth. If we really are fans who are affected on that core of a level, then we have to be more open. We have to be more willing to put aside the hate and the vitriol that's happening right now towards other fans. Because... If we continue on that path where people are ripping each other apart for having differing opinions on this issue, as we see so much in social media and elsewhere online, in a lot of ways we're betraying the spirit that the, that the saga instilled in us in the first place that for many of us drew it to it as such a fundamental part of who we are. What is it? Anger, fear, aggression, the dark side, are they? Maybe let's not forget that it also applies to the way that we treat other people and their ideas. So, so true. Speaking of continuing to live, though, if there are any other plots that can be used to keep Legends alive that we miss, hit us up. At two hours, I think we built a pretty solid case that there are plenty of options available for Legends to continue. Whether or not they are necessary, there are plenty out there. Now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Zoom, Stitcher, and on iTunes, which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and our Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms. 
or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in your search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us. It's our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you have any Star Wars and or EU slash Legends questions, or you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can always email us directly at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. Speaking of past episodes, though, you, you can find all of them over at www.starwarsreport.com slash beyondthefilms. Now, lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our Audible trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash starwarsreport, you get a free trial run of audible.com to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars Expanding Universe or any other genre without risk of being stuck with the book you flat out hate because Audible members can exchange any book within 12 months, that's one year, with no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the audiobook like I have, Audible just might be right for you. And this is, by the way, also a quick chance for a quick reminder, folks. Don't forget, if you want to win the original two-disc widescreen DVD releases of all three prequel films from their original releases in 2001, 2002, and 2005, plus that bonus, the Story of Star Wars DVD that was released as a pack-in bonus feature for those buying Revenge of the Sith in 2005 at Walmart stores, you can still enter to win that all the way up until March 15th, the Ides of March, by emailing us at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com, putting DVD giveaway in the subject line, and putting your mailing address, in case you win, inside the body of the email. Good luck. So, once again, four stars beyond the films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying thanks for listening, and may the force be with you. And don't quote us the odds. But those of us out there sort of preaching intellectual honesty and a bit of harmony in the saga will manage to have the kind of positive impact that can overshadow the, how shall we say, Al Sharptons of Star Wars fandom out there. <laughs> what are the odds that we swayed a few people to start using hashtag continue legends in support of their fallen brothers and sisters? Which is funny, because I haven't used that hashtag ever still. <laughs> Someday, you'll be like, hashtag continue legends for Mark. <laughs> there seems to be this new stigmata. I said that wrong, didn't I? Stigma? Yeah, it'd be stigmas. If it's stigmata, then somebody's like <laughs> bleeding from their wounds as if they were Christ on the cross. That's what I thought. Before and you're breaking the time up again. of the Clone Wars. Uh, Jedi leaves the order. You have to say that all again. You're breaking up like mad. Son of a bitch. Is it still breaking up terribly? No, it's breaking up. It's not breaking up now at all. For I don't know what the issue is. It's a, oh, that, that, that I just yellow... got a text. I bet that's why. Oh. Text okay. just came in, maybe. Uh... Uh, and eventually give us. Actually, you know what? Let me look at something real quick because I am. Um... Not 100% sure I know what the f I'm talking about there. I thought I did, but the more I say it, the more like, I'm like, wait, this, this is a movie plot. Hang on. <laughs> I, I'm trying to remember if that was it or if it was the other way around. That's what I'm concerned about. So now we can just say, where the f is gone, everyone? Man <laughs> 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 down. <laughs> Good 
lord. Uh, it's like you're doing your Batman impersonation practice. Oh, yeah. I was in the middle of drinking water. I just I just pretty much almost vomited that all down myself. I laughed so hard. <laughs> nice. 